0: Hello, everyone. My name is Sherry Rice, and I'm CEO of Access to Healthcare Network. Welcome to our podcast, Access to Health. Our goal is to bring you informative speakers from the healthcare industry to give you information that can help you make your healthcare decisions. Today, we are talking about ending the HIV epidemic. And my guests today are Alicia Barrett, Assistant Manager, Clark County Social Services, and Project Director for the Ryan White Part A Program, and Nick Martinez, Community Relations Manager for the Access to Health Care Network Ryan White Program. Welcome to you both. Let's start with you, Alicia. Tell us what the Ryan White Program is, um, Overall, it's a federal program, I know, so it is in every state, right? But if you could tell us how the Ryan White program started, who you serve, and the Ryan White program in Nevada.
1: Sure. Thanks for having me today. The Ryan White program, as you said, is in every state, and in fact, there's different parts to the program. So when the legislation was passed, uh, Congress made sure that there was funding that went to every state, but also certain areas of the country have a higher need for HIV services. And so those are different counties and different cities um, with a higher number of people and a higher number of people that are HIV positive. And so the Las Vegas area um, qualifies for one of those. We're called a Part A, and it's a three county area, which includes Nye County, Nevada, Clark County, Nevada, and Mojave County, Arizona. What our job is and what our goal is to ensure that individuals that are HIV positive and low income living in our three county area have comprehensive access to medical care, medical case management, nutrition services, medical transportation services, uh, medical case management services, mental health services. So, whether that's through insurance or if they are not insured or their insurance doesn't cover those services, then the Ryan White program provides those services. We have an eligibility requirement that's every six months to ensure the person is eligible for our program. And basically, what we do is ensure that they uh, see the doctor when they need to, they have labs, and when they need to, they understand the transmission risk of HIV and how important it is to take your medication and to be, you know, maintain a healthy lifestyle. Whether that's going to um, education classes, mental health services nutrition classes or nutrition appointments. Thank you, Alicia.
0: Nick, um, let's turn to you. What do you do for the Ryan White program through Access to Healthcare?
2: Yes. So with as the community relations manager for Access to Healthcare's Ryan White program, um, I handle all of the community outreach for Ryan White statewide. So that would include provider recruitments, getting providers in our network that can provide services to our currently eligible Ryan White consumers, as well as working and maintaining relationships with our community partners, such as AFAN, um, AIDS Healthcare Foundation, Northern Nevada Hopes, and so on. So, So that is the main thing that I work on day to day, as well as any marketing assistance to promote Ryan White and access as a whole organization and the services that we can provide to uh, the Ryan White Okay,
0: community. thank you, Nick. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the Ryan White program and the HIV diagnosis. The statistics that I read say that 700,000 Americans have lost their lives since 1981 to HIV AIDS and that without intervention and despite substantial progress, another 400,000 Americans will be newly diagnosed over the next 10 years. Let's talk about how the diagnosis of HIV has changed since 1981 and um, some of the interventions that we're doing now that we weren't doing in 1981. Alicia, you want to start with that?
1: Sure, I'd be glad to. And you are correct. So um, definitely, since 1981, there have been a number of people that have lost their lives. Um, I think over that time frame, the most important change has been understanding how the disease um, replicates and, and how the medications work. And so basically, the, the way the, the disease has, has lessened or become more in, under control is through medications. And the advancement of the medications, and in the beginning, the medications were very um, hard on a person's body, and so it was really like a physician would have to weigh the, the pros and the cons of, of the effectiveness of the medications, but the severe side effects they would have on an individual, and so it was, it, you had to look at like how, how sick a person was and decide when to go ahead and, and really put them on the medications, and that was, you know, I would even say up until maybe 2000, but since then, the medications, have made like leaps and bounds, even like every six months. They are just so effective and the side effects are so minimal that there is no reason a person shouldn't be on medications the day they find out they're HIV positive. And that's really the difference that has been made um, from going to 700,000 infections or people losing their lives and down to just, not just, but 50,000 people being coming in infected. The, the difference is how effective the medications are and how low the side effects are. So it it just is like a twofold of people um, taking the medications consistently and then wanting to and not, you know, not having to decide, do I want to be really sick today and take my medications? It's That's not really where the situation is anymore. It's take your medications every day because they are so effective and efficient at, at, um, Keeping a person healthy and lowering the amount of HIV in their body.
0: Well, Alicia, let me ask you why wouldn't somebody take their medication?
1: Um, There could be a lot of reasons. Taking a medication every day, sometimes people forget. I would say in previous years, the side effects, they were, you know, you would get very sick. um, You would have different, like, liver issues. There was um, sometimes, like, it was called wasting or body dysmorphia, where they're, like, it would just kind of, make your parts of your body lose fat and then maybe you would gain fat in other parts of your body but mostly it just made you so sick like you would just have serious nausea nausea but not anymore that is no longer the case for most individuals it's you take one pill you take it whenever it works best with you you know when you decide with your with your medical provider and and it, it's like a one one thing a day, and you're done.
0: Well, that certainly is different than I think it was in 1981, and certainly we have seen the um, the change over the years. Is there still a stigma about HIV/AIDS? Are people still afraid to get the disease?
1: Yes, I would definitely say there is still stigma. It's still out there. People not understanding you know, how HIV is um, transmitted from individual to individual, what it means to to be, you know, to be diagnosed with HIV, there definitely is stigma about, um, you know, am I still going to be able to work? Am I still going to be able to have a child? Am I still going to be able to do all those things? Definitely stigma is something that we fight every day and we work to overcome every day that, you um, you know, working to prevent a person from being infected with HIV is our number one goal. But if you don't know your status, you should get tested. And if you, you know, if you, if the test comes back positive, make sure you see a medical provider and make sure you get on medications that day. Um, There, the, the, Interventions are so effective that it doesn't mean that you can't still live a very full life and do all the things that you had already planned to do. That that doesn't change any of those
0: things. Well, Nick, do you see um, in your job with access to health care, do you still see a stigma around HIV and uh, treating HIV? Um, yeah,
2: there still is. There are those stigmas. There's those fears. Absolutely. You know, whether it's worried about getting HIV, I'm worried about testing for HIV, even though, you know, you practice safe sex, you do everything to prevent that, any intervention, you, there's still, when you go get tested, I think there's still that fear. Like, you know what's going to happen. You're not too worried, but you still have that fear of getting that initial lab work. And then when it comes back, having that fear. So I myself, you know, as a gay man getting tested, I still have that fear that it's gonna come back not negative. It's just, I think that's just a common thing. But with the education out there, the information that we can provide, it really does work to defeat that stigma on a daily basis. So again, as Alicia said, there are so many interventions out there as well as education and just being in the know is such an important thing. And I think we're really getting to
0: that. Let me ask you, of course, I'm a, a lay person who, just goes on what she reads, but I certainly have read lately that there isn't the fear of getting HIV AIDS that used to be because people aren't dying of the disease. I know that one of the, not issues, but one of the uh, things that you deal with with HIV AIDS in the Ryan White program is the fact that the population is getting older, and as they get older, they have other primary health issues that anybody would have uh, when they're a senior citizen. But I've also read that a younger generation, and Nick, maybe you can speak to this, that a younger generation uh, is not so afraid of getting it. And so they don't practice some of the safety measures that a population did say 20 years ago, uh, because they know that they probably won't die from it. Is that something that you see? Um,
2: Yes. As a, As a younger younger generation, you know, we definitely are more in the know of HIV transmission, all the um, medication out there, you know, such as PrEP, which is a pre-exposure prophylaxis. That is something that has become so well known and people are taking, I myself have taken it before as a prevention measure, you know, being a single man, having intercourse all those things you know you still have to take those measures of safety with the condom and all of that but using PrEP as an example in a younger generation that has become tell me what tell me
0: what PrEP is uh Nick or Alicia what what is PrEP and how does it work um Alicia
2: do you want to go or do you want me to take that Okay. Uh, So PrEP is a pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's made up of two drugs, which is tenofovir and entracitabine. And it works to fight off any potential HIV virus in the system. So if you have intercourse with someone that is um, HIV positive or even undetectable, it just is constantly working in your system. It is a single pill that you do have to take daily. Um, It does take up to 21 days to take full effect. And you know you see your doctor. You are being tested. They usually recommend being tested every three months to get a prep prescription. Um, but there's also you know services such as PEP. PEP is post exposure prophylaxis, which it has those two same drugs in it: the tenofovir and, and tricitabine It also has a third drug, and that actually works if somebody's not currently on prep and they have. They feel that they have been potentially exposed. They have to see their healthcare provider within 72 hours of that potential exposure, but they have to be placed on PEP for up to 28 days first. Once that um, they've, the PEP has worked in their system, the post-exposure prophylaxis, then their provider would put them on to PrEP, which is pre So PrEP and PEP are both so, uh,
0: prescriptions. They're not uh, not something you have to have a prescription to get it.
2: Yes, you do have to have a prescription from your provider to get it. And Prep is Truvada, so that is the actual. Oh, I've seen drug that on
0: uh, commercials on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Do you ever think, Alicia, that that Prep will be free to the public? Do you think it should be free to the public?
1: I, yeah, I think that prevention methods or measures or different things out there should definitely be free. I will say that um the the company that makes Travada, has made or has uh, donated quite a bit of Truvada to the federal government with this effort. Um, the num- the amount of Truvada or, or prep that's available and the number of people that use it is is very disproportionate. They um, there are a lot of sometimes barriers. Uh, if a person goes and has an HIV test and then is prescribed an HIV medication, but the test comes back negative, sometimes their insurance will um you know say why would I pay for this medication? And and there's definitely been some um, struggles or some different uh, obstacles put in the way for people to to get on prep um, and so the the donation of this medication through to the federal government to kind of help um, get get prep out there and get its name known better and as you mentioned, yeah, there's commercials on TV now and it's almost like, hey, I take a pill a day, but it's not birth control And I would say the easiest way to um, look at ber- or prep is that it's like, it's it's the same concept of birth control. You take one pill a day at the same time every day, but you have to go to your doctor on the, you know, every three months, as Nick mentioned, you need to, you need to make sure that that your body can handle this um this pre-exposure prophylaxis or this, you know, this sort of like in comparison, like this birth control pill, but but not birth control. And pep would be sort of like the morning after pill, right? It's like the same idea, but you have to make sure you have to have a prescription for it because it, it there can be side effects so you need to make sure that you've talked to your you know medical provider and that they that you know what you're doing and if you have side effects, what you should do to you know to to let your medical
0: Well again, I'm at the mercy of um, of what I've read, which is sometimes a good thing and sometimes not but one of the articles that I read is that was questioning why truvada is so expensive it costs six dollars to make and sells for over sixteen hundred dollars.
1: Right. Uh, I, and I don't know exactly why, why that is. I, I, do well, I think we have an idea. Trivata... <laughs> right. Exactly. Truvada was the medication that um, was part of the clinical trial or was part of the the study that said, yes, Truvada is effective in, in like a prep form. And so um, I, I don't know if that's part of it, but definitely, you know, that that's, I think a bigger conversation, right. About the cost of medications and, um, yeah, where where we can go with that as a, as a Well, country.
0: sure. But I mean, we're uh, looking at a high cost for a medication that could literally save people's lives, but it would be the same thing with many of the um, cancer drugs and how expensive they are. But certainly that needs to be tackled if we're ever going to see that PrEP is uh, free to people and that they can make it readily available.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It is an
2: expensive thing for the Truvada. Um, I know, based on personal experience, Gilead, the manufacturer for Truvada, if, you, if you're if you uninsured or insured, they do have assistance available to cover that drug for those that maybe don't have that information on hand, and maybe that's one of the factors why they are not getting on PrEP. Um, their website does provide uh, coverage to get the Truvada as well. Again, if you are insured, they have a copay assistance card, which they'll pick up Whatever your copay is as an insured individual. So there are some um, assistance, there is some assistance available out there to get.
0: In the Ryan White program, will the Ryan White program pay for the prep for the partner of somebody who's in the program that is Mm -hmm. HIV AIDS?
1: No. Unfortunately, that is not an allowable uh, cost. We only serve or only work with people who are HIV positive. So if a person is a partner of a person's HIV positive, that would be um, looking at the patient's assistance programs through Gilead or the other pharmaceutical companies. Now, I will say, as I mentioned, Gilead has donated um, quite a bit. I don't even know the amount of PrEP um, or Trivada to the government. And so I don't know how that hasn't been, you know, figured out how that's going to be um, administered throughout the United States and what that will mean for the Ryan White program. So some of those are still unknowns. We're in a very exciting time um, with the Ending the HIV Epidemic, a plan for America, which is just coming out right now. And then this donation of Trivada. So Right now, I can say, no, we cannot cover PrEP in the Ryan White program, but you never know what the, even the next six months Well, let's
0: talk a little bit about testing. How easy is it and is it free to get tested for HIV? Let's talk about in Clark County and then in Washoe County. Um, Nick, what about Washoe County? Can you get tested for free here?
2: Yeah, so there are there is assistance available. Like Northern Nevada hopes in Washoe County can provide free testing as well
0: as the health district. They do provide and services. And what, what about Clark County, Alicia?
1: Um, basically the same. You know, uh, the Southern Nevada Health District has multiple places you can get tested. The the center, um, and then quite a few um, nonprofit or community-based organizations offer testing. In fact, um, UNC, UMC. Hospital also has opt-out testing if you go to the emergency department and you you know Depending on what your symptoms are and what you're what you're suffering from and why you go to the emergency department they um, do offer. Well, let's
0: talk a little bit about Las Vegas and Clark County because I know that it's One of the counties on the map that has a very high rate of new HIV diagnosis Why do you think that is for Clark County?
1: I think part of it is the increased testing. I think, um, you know, we for many years had very limited places you could get tested um, and it was, it just, the access wasn't there. And, and over the last five years, the number of places you could get tested have, have um, grown exponentially, including adding the emergency department and, and adding um, mobile testing at different events and um, different community-based organizations offering testing. I think definitely a big part of it is just it's out there more, hey, get tested, and, and people are. and, and find-
0: Well, that's making the cup half full. I mean, if you're going to be called a county with a high rate of new HIV diagnosis, uh, turn it into a positive, which is we've increased testing. So we've uh, discovered more people that have are HIV positive so that you can get them on the medications. Um, what about sort of the opposite from that? Would you say that we have a higher rate of new HIV diagnosis because people are not practicing safe, uh,
1: safe sex? Uh, yeah, that could definitely, yes, that definitely is part of it. Maybe um, not practicing safe, safe sex, not aware of the PrEP um, drug and, you know, not, not taking advantage of those different um, prevention methods. All of, all of those things play into it together.
0: Nick, do you have any thoughts on Clark County and why it's one of the higher counties for new HIV diagnosis?
2: Um, well, I completely agree with Alicia and what she said, you know, just there's more services available, and people are utilizing those services. So that's a big reason why we are catching that. You know, like you said, with people practicing unsafe sex, that's one of the contributing factors. There is shared needles for injectable drug users, all those things come into play. There's a lot of factors in, that, in the community and nationwide as to why numbers.
0: Well, exist. and Clark County is a very dense county. I mean, 2 million people uh, within the county. And as you say, um, you go beyond Clark County into a couple of other counties. Uh, what do you do to educate people in Clark County to reach that dense of a population?
1: For the Ryan White program, we do a lot of um, prevention as treatment or treatment as prevention um, in letting people who are positive know, you know, the different transmission methods and risks and ensuring that they're aware of how important it is to be on their medication and, and that it's called viral suppression or virally undetectable, which means the amount of HIV virus in your body is to a suppressed amount, which... Um, makes it so there's virtually no risk of transmission. Or if you're undetectable, you cannot detect any viral load in your body. And that's how effective the medications are. So since we work, we work too with people that are positive and making sure they're in care and that they understand how important that is, that that message gets out to those individuals and then they can share it with other people that they interact with or, or maybe have sexual relations with, with or, or, you know use injection drugs and make sure that they know that they need to have um, clean needles and, and that they utilize the syringe services programs that we have here in Clark County. Um, that That is where we work so hard with undetectable equals untransmittable. So if you are undetectable, you are untransmittable, untransmittable to another individual.
0: Did I understand correctly, Alicia, and educate me on this, that, um, that this administration has decreased dollars for uh, education and prevention, but increased treatment dollars
1: uh, i I am not sure on that one i they definitely have increased treatment dollars and are looking to increase it even more. Um, I think it's the focus is really on um, diagn- diagnosing individuals who are most likely positive or are known to be positive um, and making sure they're into treatment. The actual prevention dollars for more like um, broad-based prevention is through um, a a different department. And I am not, I'm not aware if the funding has decreased. I know it has decreased over time as um, technology has gotten sharper and and it's easier to, to with analysis and, um, and just, you know, Investigations figuring out where a, most likely a positive person is, as opposed to testing everybody at a health fair, which is a good thing. Everyone should know their status. But the the um, the charge from the federal government is to really target what you're who you're testing and and make sure that you have some data that backs up you know this population or this group or this location is um, from our analysis where HIV is most likely. Um, at. And so we want to test these individuals. Broad-based testing is more for, um, you know, when you go to your doctor every six months or every year, just one of the tests that you should have, like you would have many other tests just to know what your status
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about the physicians, um, family practice physicians or infectious disease physicians. The material that you gave me said that 7 in 10 people with HIV saw a healthcare provider 12 months prior to diagnosis and failed to be diagnosed. How does this happen?
1: That because um as you kind of mentioned HIV you know I would say in the early 80s even in the 90s was well known and lots of people were very sick and dying and then and it, maybe it's a double-edged sword as as the disease was more under control and um and there are specialists who who see HIV-positive individuals like an HIV specialist, then the general practitioner just really isn't in the know about the um, symptoms of HIV, and they are not up on the latest information. And so part of their Ryan White program, it's called the PARDEF, and it's the AIDS Education and Training Center. And what they do is to educate physicians and medical providers on you know, what HIV is, diagnosing HIV, the symptoms for HIV, and if a person is HIV positive, either the medications they need to take or or connecting them with the right specialist in the community. Um, All of those are struggles that the Ryan White program tackles every day, um, but it's a a multi-pronged approach, right, from knowing a person is making sure they get tested and are in care and making sure... Physicians, either an HIV specialist or a general practitioner, are aware of the current medications and um, protocols that need to be followed. I think also the medications are updating and changing so rapidly, but for the better, that it's hard for a general practitioner to really stay up on that information, especially if that's not um, the a good portion of that, that, you know, physician's patient population. Those can be some of the struggles that that happen and that, that we work to, to address, but it definitely.
0: Well, and I wouldn't expect a primary care physician to stay up on the medications. And uh, do you feel that a primary care physician should encourage people to get tested, uh, no matter what category they fit in? Nick, what do you absolutely th- and, Oh go ahead, Alicia?
1: I was say I absolutely agree with you. And if the the um if the diagnosis comes back positive, refer that person to an HIV specialist. So so you know, understanding that where where their limitations are, right? Like you need to get tested and then this this happens.
0: Well, Nick, let me ask you do you feel that a primary care physician uh should be testing any gay man that comes into their office for HIV?
2: No, I don't think it should be every gay man. I think in general, the community, they should be educated on knowing that you should be getting tested. You know, they're asking questions when they see a new patient. Are you having active intercourse? They should just, that should just be a common thing. It shouldn't be specified to just a gay man. That's like pretty much bringing us back to the 1981 when this first came about that, like in June, 1981, they would title this, the gay cancer, or it used to be called grid, gay related immune deficiency. That would just bring us right back to where we started and we've come so far. So I think it needs to be everyone, not just. Yeah, you're absolutely
0: right about that, Nick, because I'm looking at some of the statistics. So uh, in 2016, African-Americans accounted for 44% of HIV diagnosis. Now this is across the United States, but comprised 12% of the U S population from 2012 to 2016 HIV diagnosis among Hispanic Latino age 25 to 35 increased 22%. But this is the one that really, I mean they all shocked me, but this one from 2012 to 2016 HIV diagnosis among American Indian Alaska Native increased 58%. Alicia or Nick, do you have any comments on why we have such a marked increase in the American uh, Indian and Alaska Native population?
1: Um, I can, I can, I would say part of that, and, and, you know, HIV is, is a unique uh, disease because depending on where you are in the country, it's really going to speak to the population that has a um, higher, you know, an increase such as that. And I think part of that, it really is stigma and people and, you know, if they are small communities. You don't want anyone to know what you're doing. You don't want to, you know, and maybe there's a, uh, not a fear of doctors, but you just don't believe in in the traditional medicine. And so you are not going to access those different things. Um, It is, you have to be very creative in how um, maybe – if you're working with an individual that is positive in, in, in a small community, like in, in the Native American communities, um, how, you, how you work with them and, and so their business is not spread, you know, to other individuals or that they don't perceive that it is. And, and you know, if, whether it's true or not, if they perceive that happening, they're going to be afraid to, to you know, to stay into care and to access those different services. Nick, and that, that's my point, but I would be interested to hear what Nick thinks.
2: No, I can. I do agree with that. Um, you know, just, you know, as. African-Americans, for an example, the stigma, fear, discrimination, even homophobia, I think, is a high thing in African-American culture. And the CDC has even written about it, that the poverty rate is higher among African-Americans than other racial ethnic groups. You know, the socio socioeconomic issues associated with poverty could include anything from limited access to high quality health care, housing, HIV prevention, education. All of those things are directly and indirectly. Uh, causes and increases to the risk of HIV infection. So I think that as an example right there, poverty, religious beliefs, just not wanting to know, like it is so not okay to know those things. And if you do not to take that kind of medication, there's a lot of factors I think that play into specific.
0: Well, i looking at these statistics, 67%. This is again, throughout the United States, um, of people, new diagnosis is gay and bisexual, 24% heterosexuals, uh, 6% people who inject drugs, and 3% gay and bisexual men who inject drugs. So I don't, um, I don't know how much for the heterosexual population that 24% has increased. Um, has that, to your knowledge, have we decreased it in the gay and bisexual community? I
2: think for for myself, I think the things that I've seen, um, percentages have kind of remained stable. Um, You know, there's age ranges where it shows an increase and decrease based on your age range. So like kids are people from gay and bisexual men for 13 to 24. It's shown that it has decreased by like 5% and 25 to 34 has increased by 40%. And it kind of fluctuates. But overall, it's from what I've seen and the studies I've read, it's kind of remained stable.
0: Let's um, talk about, for just a minute, the difference between HIV and AIDS. Alicia?
1: Sure. So HIV and AIDS, truly the difference is, it's a, AIDS, AIDS is a clinical diagnosis. When an individual CD4 count goes below 200, they are identified or diagnosed with AIDS. And this is from many, many years ago. Um, and if a per- so once a person goes below two hundred, they are di- diagnosed with AIDS. Your CD four count can go above two hundred, but even if it does, you still have the AIDS diagnosis. Um, I would say at this time, it, AIDS is truly like a clinical diagnosis. And and if a person is living with HIV or is infected with HIV, that is really what it. That's where it ends, right? Like so, if it doesn't. If a person Um, goes below 200 CD4s and and is diagnosed with AIDS. It doesn't change what we do. It's really just a clinical diagnosis.
0: Well, it's a clinical diagnosis that your HIV has become AIDS. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yeah, that your CD4 count has gone below 200 Mm -hmm. and so you're diagnosed with AIDS. But like I said, you can, if you get on medications and you, and you do what your doctor has prescribed, your CD4 count can definitely go well above 200, but you don't, that AIDS diagnosis does not go away. It doesn't. Once you, are. no, no, but you can still, like, so if you're diagnosed with AIDS and your CD4 count goes well above 200 and your viral load goes, you know, to a suppressed rate or an undetectable amount, um, you can still be as healthy as you were when you before you know before you went to below two hundred CD four count and and I would say in the past before the medications were so sophisticated and before you know um, researchers understood. The viral load and how important that was. The CD4 count was a very, very important number. And when a person's newly diagnosed, the CD4 count really shows how healthy they are, or you know how their body can fight infection. And that's important. But the long-term importance is your viral suppression rate, or if or the amount of HIV in your body. And and the lower the amount is, so the better you're taking your medications, and and the more consistently you are and following through with them, that really defines how 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 well your body is managing HIV.
0: So what I hear you saying is when you've been diagnosed with AIDS, uh, you can't go back to just being HIV positive, but let's talk about, and maybe Nick, you can help me out with this, because part of this podcast Mm -hmm. is to educate me and the people that are listening, is I'm assuming there's a real stigma between saying I'm HIV positive and I have AIDS. Isn't that correct? Um.
2: Yes, but I think that's something, again, that has been defeated, like that fear to actually tell people. There, I don't think that fear is as present as it has been in the past, um, because again, people are aware, people are educated, people know, people aren't scared of it, people are not scared of having intimate relations with someone that is positive um, for HIV or have AIDS. So I work with people that have announced it to me personally like I have friends in the gay community that have said it it's something that they are not fearful to say anymore they don't have that fear of being judged it's something they live with but it has not controlled their life it is not something that determines and defines their life anymore so i don't think that fear of actually announcing it is as present as it used
0: to and, be and and across the board both the heterosexual community and the gay and bisexual community you think the fear is decreased
2: Um, yeah, overall, I think it has, uh, you know, I'm not heterosexual, so I don't know, but, (laughs) but I do think it has overall. I think it's not just within the gay community. I think overall it has decreased.
0: So somebody meets somebody and let's talk about the gay and bisexual community. Someone meets somebody Mm -hmm. and they get to know them and they want to be intimate with them. Do you feel it's a responsibility for, uh, one of the partners to tell the other partner right away that I'm HIV positive.
2: Oh, I I absolutely do agree uh, agree with that. I think that they should uh, announce that I should you know inform them, especially if they are going to have intimate relations or they are looking to have it long term or anything like that. You know, I think out of respect for each other, they should let them know. And again, I've had I have friends I've actually personally dated someone that was positive, undetectable. And on our first date, they did let me know. Again, that's one of those things where they don't have that fear to announce that, to say that. It's just, it's not who I am. It's just something I'm living with, but it's not a big deal. Like we're educated on it. We take those precautions. I take those precautions if you know, I were to date someone like that. So the fear is not there from myself or from those that are actually announcing that to someone.
0: So I'm I'm sitting here wondering whether the fear that is left over is in the heterosexual community that uh, just is not familiar with HIV and whether there's still the stigma and the fear uh, within that community that they could catch it or that it's a disease that, uh, that you could get by drinking out of somebody's glass? Do you think, I know we've come a long way with that, but do you still find that kind of stigma? Um,
2: yes. I don't think it's just limited to the heterosexual community though. I think there still is that stigma all around in every avenue of the community. I think there's still some type of stigma there but again we have that education to talk about how you can actually the transmission happens, how you can get HIV you know it's not from drinking out of a straw studies have shown that it's not saliva that kissing is not going to give you get you HIV. Um, you're not going to be able to transmit it that way it's you know it's unprotected sex, it's bodily fluids it's shared needles those kinds of things are what can transmit the virus. It's not kissing or anything drinking out of a straw or anything like that. But I don't think it's limited to just the heterosexual community that that stigma is still there. I think it's just everyone in general. But again, that's what we're here for, to fight that every day, to defeat that stigma.
0: Why do you think that over the years, um, the annual direct health expenditure by U.S. government for HIV prevention and care is $20 billion? Why do you think the government still continues to put so much money into HIV uh, diagnosis, prevention, and treatment, and yet doesn't do it for other diseases. Anyone want to answer that one? Alicia? Uh,
1: yeah, my, <laughs> my um, I would say part of that is because, and a lot of that cost can come from the medications. They are very expensive, and, and the care of individuals, and, and again, I would say, in, in my opinion, it is known how HIV is transmitted from one person to another. And as Nick said, it's through bodily fluids or for sh- from sharing needles. And so ensuring a person is virally undetectable is the best way to ensure another person does not contract HIV. And the best way to do that is through managing the care of those individuals, ensuring they're on medications, and, those, and that they can that they have the medications. Um, I would say there are many... Throughout the years of, of providing care to people that are HIV positive through the Ryan White program, there has been other funding sources like other insurances and sometimes there hasn't been. And so um, where we are right now with expanded Medicaid and other insurance options to pay for the care and the medications um, changes in some ways Ryan White's role, but also the people, some of the people we serve do not keep those eligibilities up to date. And again, the most important way to ensure that another person doesn't become infected and the costs that is, are associated with caring for that individual once they um, are positive and their cost of medications in care, it just is the most effective to ensure that the current individuals that are positive are in care, are virally suppressed, and that's, that's the good of, for the nation.
0: Well, let's move into um, the goals for 2020 on HIV prevention, diagnosis, and treatment. Uh, let's talk about diagnosis. What's, let's talk about Clark County uh, because, of course, it's our, it's our state, and Clark County is, is our home. And what, what about diagnosis are the goals for 2020?
1: I would say for and, and to from from our from my point with the Ryan my program and working in Clark County is to offer opt out testing at all emergency rooms so the success or the, the success I don't know if that's the right word but the the um, effectiveness of of having opt-out testing at UMC has been shown in they've done it since December 1st. So basically less than you know a year almost around six months and the number of actual people who were already positive but weren't in care and so went to the emergency department didn't disclose that they were positive but the symptoms that they were um, talking about made the the you know attending physician decide to run an HIV test and it came back as positive. So now that person's back in care. The effectiveness of that, and again, and, and that person obviously was on medications. And so our goal is to, you know, if you are positive, if you are, and not in care, we want you to be in care. If you are expressing symptoms that that you know are classic for HIV, but you get tested and we get you on medications as quickly as possible. So the first step is to diagnose all people with HIV as early as possible.
0: So now, when you say when you say opt-out testing, Alicia, explain to me what you mean about that with an emergency room.
1: That means if you come in and you have di- you have symptoms that lead the physician to believe that HIV might might be, you know the cause of the symptoms, they're going to say, we want to run this, and you would have to opt out. So they're going to give you a test with, with multiple other tests, depending on what, you know, the, the issue is. But you would have to say, no, I don't want to do that, um, as opposed to saying, yes, I do want to do that.
0: Okay. And what are some other things on diagnosis in 2020?
1: Um, I would say our goal is to just, if you know, have very clear parameters around testing people, um, especially the, in areas where HIV is known. So ensuring that we have testing available at the center, the Gay and Lesbian Center, that we have it available at um, different, you know, at different events where um, HIV is, or, or individuals who may be HIV positive would frequent, them. Um, here in Clark County are, our, our, um, Patient population for the Ryan White program: seventy-one percent of the people that we serve are either men who have sex with men or injection drug users, and so that is like the the bulk of people that we are serving. So we want to ensure that different events where where that could happen, or you know, where where people who identify with that may frequent, that we have testing available, um, so that the person would you can
0: have their status. would you ever see Alicia that or Nick that testing could be done. Uh, Instantly at a health fair. Do you ever? What do you? Would you be uh, pro that? Would do you think that that would uh, help with uh, early diagnosis? Uh,
1: I I would be pro that, just so a person could know their status. Um, but I know that that would have to be with funding outside of the federal government because. The statistics have shown that health fairs are, you know, are people who they just don't have a high, um, a high rate of HIV positive, um, you know, what's the right word? A high rate of people coming back with an HIV positive diagnosis. And so it's, it's really mm-hmm. not the most effective way. Oh, cost
0: people. effective?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. What do you think, Nick? Do
0: you think that testing should be done at certain places and be done for free?
2: Well, um, I do. I am totally pro for that. But like Alicia said, sometimes it doesn't, the data doesn't support that. But there are services where people can get those testings. Like the AIDS Healthcare Foundation in Clark County has a mobile testing site unit. And, you know, they look at the population and maybe focus on certain areas that taking that van would really benefit to get people more um to get them tested so like for example you know in for the gay population men who have sex with men lesbians anything like that they've had their mobile site units at in front of a bar and they've worked with that and like to try to actually get people to come in which is wonderful like those kinds of things utilizing resources working with the community having that mobile site are those productive they are productive actually they i've seen a few like they have lines they have a lot of people that come into that just like when we have our pride event in las vegas they uh, ahf has their mobile site testing unit there as well and it they it is really effective by doing that you know and then of course when they're at like a gay bar or anything like that they have free swag to give away you can have all this stuff you can have a free drink if you get tested so they have um tactics to get people to get tested and is that
0: is that testing that they do uh on outreach like that is that an instant you instantly know
2: yeah they will be able to give them that answer right then and there
0: and then they would tell them what to do after that have counselors yes um yes Mm -hmm.
1: you would find out your results within 20 minutes and then, if it does come back positive, yep. there's linkage coordinators right there that have already mm-hmm. have a plan of, you know, getting the person in maybe the next day to see a, a physician or to link them immediately or within the next day to services.
0: That's fabulous. So, so really, with um, with the medications that we have today, if we were testing out in the public more, and then they got in the next day. Uh, for treatment, they could get on the medication within, say, 48 hours. I mean, that's part of your goal for 2020, right?
1: That is correct.
0: And what are we doing to make that happen?
1: So, we actually, um, quite a few locations, the health district, UMC, um, Huntridge Family Clinic and other medical providers have it's called the RAPID program. So that is in place right now where you, if you come in and you test and you test positive, that you're going to see a physician or a medical provider and, and be prescribed at least a, like a five day starter pack on the same day or within the next day. Um, we also are looking to have uh, the University of California San Francisco. Work with our jurisdiction to implement like a rapid community response. So, taking that idea of if you test, if test positive, you see a medical provider and get medication within the same day or within like two days, um, and and implement that throughout the community. So wherever you go, the the definitions are the same, the response is the same, and it's a it's a community response as opposed to each location sort of doing their own thing. But we are just in um, the planning stages. We are waiting. Um, We applied for a grant actually. University of California, San Francisco applied for a grant from the feds or from HRSA, um, which is the Health Resources and Services Administration that administers the Ryan White grant. And we are just waiting for the final um, approval that that the, the Las Vegas TG or the Las Vegas transitional grant area can work with UCSF to implement this.
0: So we're talking about the possibility of ending the HIV epidemic. That's a tall order, but I certainly know that Ryan, the Ryan White program is headed in that direction and that that is their commitment and their goal. But what is the most important thing an individual can do to end the HIV epidemic?
2: I think for an individual, just... Pretty much being in the know, understanding HIV and ways to prevent it themselves, taking those necessary steps to ensure they're protected as well as any type of partners that they have. Just completely understanding it, getting tested, you know, taking those necessary precautions again, putting themselves on prep if they are having active intercourse with multiple partners and wearing condoms, protection, anything like that. And again getting tested as well as speaking to their medical provider about it and not, you know, being afraid to
0: discuss that with them. And what what is the single uh, most important thing that you think a physician can do to end the HIV epidemic?
1: Uh, I, I think get educated, you know, understand mm-hmm. what the symptoms are, understand the importance of the medications and know again, in the community who to refer that individual to. If you are not, if you as a physician are not um, educated on the latest information, knowing where you can refer that individual to, which would most likely be the Southern Nevada Health District.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about the state of Nevada and the counties, Alicia, what do you think is the most important thing that they can do?
1: The other counties, is that what you said?
0: The, the our state government and All the counties, what is the most important thing they can do to end the HIV epidemic?
1: I would say working within uh, the Nevada AIDS Education and Training Center to ensure they are aware of the latest information, where to refer people to. The state has a, a Part B program, and part of their charge is to ensure the full state has resources available Um, connections available, and the Part B program works very closely with the Nevada AIDS Education Training Center to provide that information. The AETC has a yearly, um, it's called an autumn update, which provides the latest medical information on the HIV, um, HIV as as a disease, and where the medications are, and the latest information about testing. And so if you are a medical provider within any county, especially a rural county in the state of Nevada, finding out the information from the Nevada AIDS and Education and Training Center, which is available online, um, and, and and attending that autumn update would definitely benefit you.
0: Okay, let's remind people again where they can get tested. Uh, Nick in the north, can you remind people where they can get tested, please?
2: Yeah, so common areas, they can get tested at the Washoe County Health District, Northern Nevada Hopes. They can speak to their primary care physician about getting tested That the what they want to do so there are options out there again northern nevada hopes in the washoe county health district those are very common well-educated facilities that can provide free testing for hiv
0: okay and alicia in clark county or any other county where can people get tested
1: sure so the southern nevada health district you can get tested there Um, The Gay and Lesbian Center has testing available. The AIDS Healthcare Foundation has testing available. AIDS for AIDS of Nevada, Community Counseling Center. You can also go to our website, lasvegastga.com and type in your zip code and it will show you where testing is available closest to you.
0: Fabulous. We've been talking with Alicia Barrett, Assistant Manager, Clark County Social Services and Project Director for the Ryan White Part A Program and Nick Martinez, Community Relations Manager for the Access to Healthcare Ryan White Program. I want to thank you both. This has been very educational and highly interesting. I want to thank all of you for listening to our podcast. For a list of future podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org podcast.